Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of today's Survival Show. Helping you do what you can, with what you have, wherever you are. And you know what? That slogan's probably never more true than what you're going to hear on this podcast coming up. This is episode 218. I am thrilled to play for you what I think is going to be one of the best interviews ever on my show and I didn't do it so once again Mexican Joe has been helping me out quite a bit Uh, I've had a pretty tough few weeks Uh, my family decided to downsize because of the health challenges that we're dealing with with my wife but also just because we needed to do it we were in too big of a place spending too much money we've downsized purchased another home we only moved a third of a mile away I wanted to go a little bit further, but, you know, there's good reasons like kids in school to stay where we're at right now, or a kid in school. And I want him to finish up school. He's had a lot of changes in his life. I don't want him to have any more changes. So we downsized to a a single-story home that is going to be a lot better for us. And if we have to make some modifications to it and everything, it's going to be a lot better having a one-story. So Mexican Joe has been helping me out with some pretty cool interviews. This is a priceless interview that you're about to hear with Tabitha Betancourt. Now, the name of this show is A Macy's Girl. Well, at least formerly. And you'll understand why in the interview. And uh, so that's what it says. I'm not going to spoil why I called it that. I'm just going to let you hear why I put I called this A Macy's Girl. Um Listening to Tabitha, you know, she's been on, interviewed on other shows, the Survival Podcast, and also now she's on this show. And I, I've looked at her websites and things like that. All i got to say is this, folks. Most of you know I do a lot of traveling. And right now, as I'm dictating this introduction, I'm in the middle of a three-and-a-half-hour drive. Well, this interview made a big chunk of this drive just absolutely whiz right by. It made a long drive very short. So many thanks to Mexican Joe and uh, and Tabitha for doing this. And uh, so, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot I can add to this. I'm just going to say this thing is priceless. So for those of you who are not quite sure if you want to go full steam into prepping or if you know somebody that is a little, maybe a little bit on the fence about prepping or survivalism, and they're not quite sure, this is an episode you want to play for them. I promise you that. So, I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get right into the interview. Okay, uh, Mexican Joe here back uh, helping Bob out with some more interviews. I've got a really exciting one. I know I'm excited about it. Uh, Tabitha Bencourt. You're all over the place. Uh, you got your website. You've got Facebook. You've got Pinterest. Um, I first heard about you on another podcast, and I was driving down the road listening to the podcast, and I was just rolling. Uh, you got so much stuff going on. Oh, good. And, and you are so funny. And we, we were just talking right before the interview about uh, uh, thumpering and just how we'll be running down the road, and then squirrel, take off in a different direction. Well, I was actually telling you, let's let's tell them so they all know. We'll start a new trend. There you go. Um, thumping 
to me, everything is, they call me, they, they call me thumper. And thumping is when you start a conversation and you move to another topic and you're like, oh, you know, squirrel. And you move to that topic and then you see something else and you move out. And you eventually get back to what you were saying. But we call that in this household, oh, she's thumping. So that's where I got my name, Thumper. Yeah, well, see, and that's why I've got to have uh, Super Dave around my buddy because he's always the one that reels me back in or I just keep going. So I tend to go and never return. Um, okay, uh, let's 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 do a little bit of background on you. Um, uh, from the interview that I heard, but of course, you know, not everybody else listens to all the other podcasts. Where did you get started? Because you're a you're a Macy's girl, and now you're out there with your rubber boots on. I am. I'm on my second pair of rubber boots, by the way, which I did get from clearance um, <laughs> at Cabela's up in their uh, loft area that they have. Always still looking for a good deal. No, I uh, I was a Macy's girl, went in there every week looking for the good deals and um, working as a dispatcher for the fifth largest city in California. And my husband went on a missions trip to Guatemala, I believe. He uh, was tra- he trains other officers down there. Um, and he comes back, and he had talked to a guy, and he says, Hey, I, I want to, you know, he's reading the book The Patriots. And he, uh, he's like, I really want to start doing this prepping stuff. And I'm sitting in the office at the computer. I look up at him, and I'm like thinking he is nuts. I mean, he's lost it. And all of a sudden, I, I'm like, what? I'm like, well, that's what your allowance is for, honey. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he, he started spending his, his money. We had generous allowances down there. Of course, we both worked. And uh, he started spending his, his money on all of the stuff that... That normal new preppers would be buying and he's doing the research and and I'm looking at it and of course the economy is just tanking in California and I'm answering these phone calls with people just going crazy and I'm seeing things deteriorate quite fast in the city that I was in and I'm just like I can really see where what he's doing makes a lot of sense and I turned around and uh, started looking into it and Long story short, we now live on two acres up in the northern coast of Oregon, and I have now retired, and I am, I love building, and I am now the um, contractor, plumber, everything, gardener for the land up here, and I'm building all of the property stuff. Yeah, and that's really cool, because coming from the background, the Macy's girl to the um, you know, and, and I want you to go into a lot of this because you, like I said, you are so diverse and so all over the place. Um, you go to the junkyard and you pull stuff out when they let you, you, uh, you gather pallets and you yes. tear them apart and you build things with those. So you're doing a lot of different things with next to nothing. Well, because I don't have my, I took a um, a fifty percent pay cut when I moved from um, California up to here, and then so it wasn't a real big. Um, I mean, it was it was it was a big sacrifice for us with the fifty percent pay cut, but we figured out we could do it. So then we couldn't afford to hire anybody to like build the um, brick wall. I don't know if you've seen any of the, the video that I just did on YouTube has. Um, a picture of the brick wall that I built a year and a half ago. <clears throat> really great way to get rid of underarm flab. I'm just telling women, <laughs> if you don't want your underarm flab, you have to 
build a brick wall. Yeah, I, I, then, I uh, saw that. I saw that. I thought that was really funny. I read that, too. Yeah. And then um, I, you know, you're pricing out, and it's like, okay, well, the brick wall is 5,000 in materials, and we bought that, and it was like, well, I'll do it on my days off, and they just kept changing my hours. And I was seeing my husband once every eight days, and because he was um, going to his work, I was going to my work, and we would just we would be like within two miles of each other as one of us is leaving and the other one's returning. And um, we he, he came home one day, and it was so funny. He, he I come home and he says I, I did the the um, the financial chart, and I'm like oh okay, and he's like you can quit and everything, we'll, we'll be able to cover everything, and you can retire and stay home and build all the stuff that you have plans for, because I have like an 89, 91-point plan of what this land is going to be, and I'm just at the beginning, and I'm like, really? And he's like, yes, and I even made sure you had enough money for your hair allowance. <laughs> you know you got to love a man when he does that. <laughs> well, you gotta, you got to you yeah, have I mean, your... It, 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 you got to be able to hand it back. You know, I, I want to keep you reeled in. Okay. So what do I need to do? What do I need to give you to keep you reeled in? Oh no, you you know a man is fabulous when he makes sure that that your hair allowance is in the budget, the, the monthly budget. You know that just that just tells you you're married to the right man. <laughs> yeah, everybody's got their thing, and you know, with with me, it's it's it, it went from you know guns and bullets to chickens and feed. Well, he didn't get his allowance for his preps anymore. He gave me my hair allowance, and um, then I got to retire, and I did nothing. I, I did nothing for the last two and a half years, um, two years, actually two years in um, about seven days of nothing but building. So everything that's on the website of the things that I've built um, has been literally in the last two years. Wow, because I know you've got your monster dirt pile you're working on. Um, you have an Olympic event you call Tire Chasing. You got your Tire Chasing event, which is hilarious. Yes. Uh, why don't you explain? It is tire Chasing season. Yeah. Now explain to everybody about your 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 monster dirt mound and your tire chasing and where that came from. And if you would go into your pallets too. Okay. Well, the the pile of dirt came from when we moved up here. I think. And I don't mean this disrespectful, but I think when people move from California, everybody in the other states just assumes they have a ton of money. Yeah. But in reality, they are escaping because they have no money, and we couldn't afford to live there anymore. So when we moved up here, our excavation fees literally um, doubled. Everything just seemed to happen. The the property was, um, we're, we're on a hill, and the hill was steeper than we thought. And we, they had to dig out a little bit more, and things just kept changing. Well, at the end of the process, um, I, I finally, we didn't have any more money, and I'm not going to do anything on credit. So I just told the guy, you know, you, you're going to have to leave. I can't afford to pay you anymore. So he finished carving out the road for us, which was nice of him, but he put it all in a big pile. So I am left walking out my front door, because we have a little tiny 693-square-foot cottage, um, which is another word for modular home, which do not call me trailer trash. <laughs> but, but, um, so I'm left with this huge pile of dirt when I walk outside my front door. And uh, so I move out by wheelbarrow. Do you hear that noise? Yeah, that's guineas. That's on my end. My, my guineas are losing their mind. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I moved the pile of dirt by wheelbarrow load, which um, which is so far taking two years. Um, I did. Make, I have made a big dent. I, I did garden number three so far. Um, and then tire chasing season, I have a local tire guy that will bring me, because I have no backyard, and we're on a hill, so I was trying to figure out a way that I could um, cheaply, because the retaining wall, the first one I built was $5,000 in material only, and now that I'm not working, I don't have the money for $5,000 for stones. So I started looking into it, and I'm thinking, you know, people use tires for all kinds of things. They use them to build houses, so... Why can't I use it to build a wall? So, so I uh, I started hunting around our little the, the the little big town we have, and there was a tire guy there, and he's like, "Yeah, when I come down your way, I'll bring you some tires." So every once in a while, my neighbors are so gracious not to say anything about a big pile of tires I have sitting up in the uh, in the yard. And tire chasing season just means that it's not raining, hasn't rained for two weeks, so I can start moving dirt. And I pile it all up in the wheelbarrow, move the dirt where I need it to go, but the fun thing is, is when I go grab a tire, um, they inevitably always run off from me. They'll hit a rock, and they'll just start tumbling down the cliff, and we have a forest area that's down below us. So as the tire, well, the first time, I think I explained the last time, the first time a tire left, I actually thought I could run to catch it, and then I started sliding. And I can tell you right now, you cannot run fast enough nor slide fast enough to catch a tire. <laughs> so I was, um, now what I do is I just stand there and I look to see the last thing the tire has hit. Okay, it hit that tree. I saw the leaves move. It hit that bush. And then when my husband wakes up, I say, hey, honey, come on. It's time to go get tires because I am not stupid enough to go into the forest <laughs> to catch tires. There are things that live there like bobcats and bears. Yeah, that that's funny. Well, and, and after and pallets. Oh, I was going to tell you about. Yeah, go ahead on. Go ahead and go into pallets, and I'll come back to tires. Okay, um, pallets. I I I was on Pinterest, and I was looking at all the things that people could do out of pallets, and I needed a deck. And I I'm trying to because let's face it, modular homes are not fun to live in. They're, they, they, they look like a modular home, and there's very little that you can do to not make them look like a modular home. And so I'm trying to figure out a way to cover the bottom of it so that it kind of raises it up and it doesn't look like it's a modular. So I was online one day, and I'm like, well, I could build a, a deck here and a raised bed over here. And I started thinking about the deck, and I saw all the things that people were doing with pallets. And I... Uh, I ended up going around, and if you start looking for them, you find them everywhere. They're just everywhere. Right. And now people will literally call me and say, hey, I've got pallets for you. So I can fit 13 pallets in the back of my truck, and um, I'll go up and down the uh, the county looking for them. And I, I take them apart, and I built a, um, I built a deck for $36, and that money was just the cost of... Um, the pressure-treated two-by-sixes that are underneath it. We get a lot of rain here, so I didn't want them to touch the ground. I built a garbage collection container to, to keep the uh, raccoons and bears out of our garbage. I built planters um, when I, I brought some trees home 
and I needed to pot them up because I didn't have the ground ready, so I tore apart a couple pallets and dinner um, containers for that. I built all of the raised beds up in the garden out of them. I've built um, tables, potting benches, uh, compost bins, gosh, you name it. I'm getting ready to build a... I haven't decided if I should build the garden shed out of pallets or the leftover hardy plank from the studio but uh, i'll figure that one out when i get there yeah i was really impressed i was looking online and looking at your uh, your garbage can closet deal and it is really neat and what what, what i kind of thought was funny in doing some reading on your site and looking at it was all the boards come pre-cut to the, to a certain length so you all you had to do was base everything off of your existing lengths of board Two by, the two by fours on the pallets are usually sometimes you get ones that are that are different sizes. But I stack them up. I have uh, my my pallet side. I think there's even pictures where you can see them in the back of it, um, back behind our my shop. And I have them stacked up according to size. And they're usually four feet long with the cross boards, the pallet boards being forty inches. So when I go to design something, everything is usually designed by. 40 inches, and then it needs a 2 by 4 support either every 20 inches or every 40 inches. So there is no 16 or 20, you know, 4 inches on center in this house. It's all 20 to 40 inches on center. Right, so all you've done is basically taken basic building skills and modified them to your material. Yes, exactly. Okay, that's really cool. So, And it's not... Oh yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't look like it's all that easy. I mean, your some of your projects are further along than it looks like I could do. Now, yeah, they're 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 not easy. It's not easy tearing them apart. Is the big thing. I mean, it, it's pretty hard tearing those things apart. Yeah, yeah, I'll bet it is. Now you've so you so you came out of California. Uh, you retired. Um, Great place to be from, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's a great place to be from. It's a great place to not go back to. Uh, I have no desire to go back. Um, what would you consider yourself? Would you consider yourself now a prepper or a homesteader? <laughs> Me neither. Yeah, I'm not going back. <laughs> I, I think both. We were talking about that a couple weeks ago, and I'm, I think I think both. Um, I prep everything that I'm building right now is to build the homestead, but it all has a purpose. Like the shop, when it gets cleared out, is also going to be you know, the place where we can do a lot of the butchering when we catch animals um, and, and canning because never buy a glass-topped stove because you cannot pressure can on the top of them. You're not even supposed to can water bath canning on them, which they don't tell you that in the stores, but when you bring them home, um, you find that out by reading the little fine print in the book, the manual of the stove. Really? Yeah. See, I was unaware of that. So we're we're building an outdoor kitchen. Uh, yeah, we built a we, we bought a pretty nice stove, and then found out that I could do none of the canning that I was doing on it. Right. So right. It, it will it will go away someday. <laughs> well, see, and that's what's kind of nice about my place is that I've got we were I've got the house up here, um, and we we really when we did our garden we did it farther down by my shop, and that's probably 7,500 yards away and the garden didn't work out right because we were too far from the house and now after listening to uh, to Jack and, 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 and some of his stuff we're going to cut back this year do it closer to the house but down at my shop it's a 30 by 30 metal building with a concrete floor and bathroom and uh, it's got a shower in it and all that 
But what's really cool about that is I've got a refrigerator, freezer, and me and my buddies went in and we all pitched in together and it's a total processing center. So we can do all of our processing down there. And that's really nice. Yeah, that's got to be really nice. Hey, how's the moisture condensation inside that shop? There, Yeah, I have no moisture in the shop uh, to think of. I actually wish I had a little more. Uh, it's kind of dry. It's a, it's a wood frame and then uh, they wrapped it in steel. So, uh, there, yeah, there's, it's Texas, and the only thing moist is once you get moving around out here, you start to sweat, and that's it. Yeah, in the winter when we have a lot of rain, um, I think we have a leak in it. I, well, I know we have a leak in it, and I have to climb up <coughs> excuse me, on the roof to get it done to, to seal it up, but I promised my husband I wouldn't climb on the roofs when he wasn't home. And since he's been at work and um, on the nice days, um, I haven't had a chance to get that done. Yeah, yeah, you got you got to deal with safety Other first. Than that, I, I, I painted his barn. It, he, I, yeah, and I because you know we're out in the middle of nowhere. You can't just you can't just do whatever you want and think your neighbors are going to hear you. My neighbors aren't going to hear me screaming. And if they hear me screaming, they probably think I'm rocking out to some really cool song or something. <laughs> right. So I, uh, I painted the barn, and, you know, it's all... Yeah. Well, it's, it wouldn't be far off either. <laughs> but um, I'm painting the barn, and, and since we built everything on a hill, um, we had to buy special ladders that... that because we just didn't really think about when we bought um, the place. Although I do love the hill because it rains so much that I don't, I just have to think about the way the water flows and then design everything around that, and I don't have any issues um, with water um, flooding because it's all going to go down to my neighbor below me. Um, but anyways, so I'm up on the, the ladder painting, and I, I send my husband a text. I'm so grateful for technology. I send him a text when, I, when I'm starting to work on ladder work, that I'm working on ladder work. And I send him a text about every 20 to 30 minutes after that. So if I don't send him a text, he will, you know, he's on alert, and he'll, he's watching for the texts, and he'll call me. If I don't answer, then I'll get a visit from my mother or father or somebody from the town. They'll he'll call him and have him come and check on me. <laughs> well, that's that's really kind of smart. You're dealing with what you've got, but you got to get some stuff done. So that's that's really smart. Yeah, other than that, yeah, other than that, I wouldn't be able to do anything cuz you know, I'm I'm 20 feet in the air painting painting the barn. I was 30 some feet in the air painting the studio last year. I I'm building the I just got finished building the chicken coop. I think that thing's going to be the death of me. Um and I'm working with uh with wire and and you know all kinds of stuff i'm up on first time i ever did a roof by myself um was the chicken coop so i'm up there and that was really wasn't that tall because i didn't build it really tall but still when you're working with power tools and stuff and you're the only one here you have to be smart and let somebody know what you're doing and then i always send them a text you know every time you know 20 30 minutes or when i'm down off the ladder and uh you know, sometimes I'm up on that ladder with my leg around the pole I just sunk, you know, the day before. <laughs> Wrapped around the pole as I'm leaning across trying to screw another board into another board to connect the two. Because the ground is so steep, I can't get the, the ladder legs don't level. Yeah, I, I do that so quite often. Yeah, I've done, I do that quite often, and that's usually why I'm usually hurt or injured or why I have all my first aid kits. 
Yeah, well, I have my own personal Band-Aids in the shop and in my purse and in my wallet and in my car. <laughs> yeah. Now, you just mentioned your chickens. Now, that's 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 something new for you. Uh, uh, I know. Oh, I'm, my gosh. Yeah, I'm, I'm real big on my birds. I mean, we were just sitting here discussing it. We... We started birds here. I've, I've been trying to do birds for about two years. And just that was, you know, when I got into my livestock end. And it's just, we, we've just now gotten it down in the last year. Uh, me and my stepmom working together. Uh, we found, one of the things we found out right off the bat is there can only be one chief. And, you know, I'll do the heavy lifting and help her with this and that. But really, that's her thing. And what we did was we came up with a book. So she logs everything that goes on. So she logs when eggs go in an incubator. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and she does the research on when they come out of the incubator and so on and so forth. And we did an inventory today and we've got a dozen full-size chickens, 12 of them that are 4 months old, 18 that are 3 months old, 20 that are 2 months old, 30 that are a month old, and we got 30 eggs that are about to come out of the incubator this weekend. So oh we've gosh. got yeah. So we've got ninety chickens running around the yard in different phases, or out in the chicken coop. We've got we've got layers of chicken coops, which I think I think I sent you the link to go on my YouTube and look at that. Uh, and on top of that, we've got what is it? Yeah. Yeah, we've got eight to ten rabbits that are loose. Those are the lion heads that I got tired of feeding. Another twelve in cages. The eight guineas. Yeah, which you're, you're just crazy for that. You're crazy. You're crazy for letting the rabbits loose. Aren't they eating your garden? No, actually the garden is the garden right now is so far away in the back that they don't. Now, my stepmom, she has tomatoes up here in the back and, and they're and they're starting to eat into her tomatoes. And to me, this is kind of fun. She needs to cage off her tomatoes a little better. <laughs> because well, see and another thing we've got is we would, we would, all our chickens get all of our scrap, all of our vegetables, all of our food. Chickens eat anything. Chickens love chicken. So yeah. they would, she would really? make, she would make a sandwich and then she throw tomato scraps out to the chickens. She was teaching the chickens to like tomatoes, and now she complains because the chickens are eating her tomatoes. So I just tell her no. See, take the chickens for me are fenced off. Go ahead. No, yeah, no, mine, they, they're in a coop at night for their own security, just to keep them away from predators, because we do have predators and stuff that will come in and get them, but once the day opens up, once we get up, we let them out, because now they're eating seeds, they're fertilizing the whole property, they're eating bugs, yeah, so I just let them go, because if, if you keep them pinned up, then you're, what you're paying for a dozen eggs is the same thing as you're paying at the store, because your feed is so high. But if you let them loose, your feed bill drops dramatically, or it can if you if you let it. Yeah, we. Go ahead. Yeah, we we have um, we have we have the chickens in a fenced in gated off area. Their their coop, which is an indoor outdoor coop, it, it's a indoor um, roost bar because we have I built. You know, the only place I could build it was right in the path of the coyote and raccoons. I mean, and literally, I know it's in the path of the coyote and raccoons because it's where my dog laid last year while I was doing the stu painting the studio, and we would come down there and have to clean up the coyote poop from the night before. Right. So you should see the look on, you know, your sweet dog's face when she's looking at the place that she lies every day, and there's coyote poop in it, and she's just looking at you like, Mom, this is a part of the deal. 
But um, so I had to, I built it with their front yard. They have a large area to be, and I don't have as many as you. I, I think I would go crazy um, because literally it's just very many further steps away from my high heels, and I can only take these steps in small increments. <laughs> We've got to wean you out of your high heels, don't we? Oh, gosh. I bring them home, and I put them in, the, in, the, in their pet coop, and I'm like, seriously, I have this very big need to go pack up all my heels that are in my closet, get in the car, and just drive south. <laughs> just drive south. <laughs> and, of course, the breakfast table the next morning, my husband's looking at me, and he's like, are you okay? And I just burst into tears. And he's just looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, it's just too far from, from where I was. I just want to get dressed up and go somewhere. <laughs> but um, they're, actually really, they're actually really cool. But because we have the predators, we have the front yard area, and they'll, they can come in and out of their coop when they want, because I am not um, somebody that likes to wake up early. And I work till 1 o'clock in the morning, and it gets light at 5.30 right now. So, you know, they're on their own. They can get up, and there's a little food in their feeder. And I'll wake up uh, between 8 and 9, and I'll go out there, and I'll feed them. And then I will let them, I'll give them a little bit of feed. But then I fenced off an area, we call it their backyard. So we kind of make, kind of making them live in a subdivision. <laughs> <laughs> As we, uh, I have a little door for them at the back, and I, I unlatch the door, and I say, there you go, girls, go out and play. So it's kind of like a mom forcing their kids away from the video games and making them go out and play. <laughs> there you yeah. go. They're loving it so far. Yeah, see, what we do is we pull them out of our, the incubator, of course, they're only in the incubator until they dry, and then they go out, and there's a there's a heat lamp, and what would, my stepmom did was she built a... Not like a chicken tractor. It's basically, it's, it's got four sides and a roof, and it really has no bottom on it. Uh, it's got a little bit of wire on the bottom, but the problem we were having is, is if the wire was elevated at all off the ground, they were getting their feet stuck in it, and they were breaking their legs. So we had to stick the wire directly on the ground. So now she's, they go in there, and they're fine. And we haven't lost one since she made that. And they sit in there pretty much about a month. They're in that little coop, so now they're out, and they're running around, and they're learning to scratch. And then at the end of a month, they get released into the chicken coop, and it's, it's there's a housing area, and then there's an open area with fencing across the top, so nothing can fly in there. And they run around in there, but the bigger chickens come in and out. So what we've done is we've taken a piece of lattice work we found on the property, and it's about 12, 14 inches tall, kind of wrapped it with feed bags, so that when the chicks get big enough to jump out of the chicken coop and can clear that 12, 14-inch barrier, then they're, they're big enough to run around. So that's where they end up going through the... Eggs, gr- how many eggs a day do you get? Um, yeah, we're getting six to eight eggs a day. Um, we're getting ready to get a lot more. We're, we're getting ready to start our last batch. Right now we're on chicken batch number three, I think. And we do... We've, we've gone from 20 to 40 eggs in, a, in an incubator batch, and we're getting ready to finish one right now, and it's got 38 eggs in it. We're going to do one more this summer, and the reason we do so many is we know we have our natural die-off. Uh, some chickens just get sick or whatever and die. Um, we had one that died. We think it tried to eat a scorpion. Um, of course, we've got... 
We've got hawks, coyotes, and bobcats that run through. The coyotes and bobcats stay away because if I get stressed out, I'll go out back with a pistol and do a little pistol shooting. So we don't have a problem with that. But we know we have the die-off. So that's why we're doing so many. So here probably after we get this next batch in the incubator, we're going to kill off all of our all of our roosters that are of any size because it's it's bad out there during the day. I mean, I may have 20 chickens running around, but I'll tell you what, I got three roosters and it's like sailors coming off a boat. They're tagging everything. I mean, I've got. I have no roosters yet. Yeah, I've got. I've got chickens that have no feathers on their back. I have got chickens oh, who have got scars across the back of their necks. I mean, and cuts. So I don't want to lose my chickens because my chickens, they give me all the eggs on a daily basis, and then we turn around and give eggs away to people that are in our network and friends of ours. But you, but everybody's like, well, how, when do you kill your chickens? I don't kill chickens. I kill roosters. You can't tell the difference when they're in a pot. So, so how many? What, well, yeah, I'm here. So, what's your goal? Where are you going with your chickens? How many do you want to have at one time? Or how many eggs are you looking for on a daily basis? Well, I, well, I want to be able to supply my um, our immediate family with eggs. I, I, I'm looking at a rooster, but probably once we get our forever home, if we ever do, we have no clue what the world, what the economy, and 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 everything is doing, which is why we're, you know, we build as we have money, um, and we try to be as frugal as we can and get the land where we want it so that so that we're, you know, just maintaining, no longer building. Um, so for chicken-wise, I probably, I, I have seven right now, and I will need to enlarge the coop. I had to put a... Uh, a tri-story duplex inside it because the five chickens that I got and the two that I brought in, those five chickens refused to let the two um, on the eight-foot roost bar that's in there. They, yeah, that uh, so I had to build them their own pers- personal bar, and, and it looks like I'm going to have to give them their own personal door to enter and exit the place. Uh, but we do know which which one will be barbecue first. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And yeah I, I look at her every. Yeah, I, I look at her every day, and I, and I look at. I said, "You will be on my barbecue grill if you do not let them in the door." Yeah, and she just she must know what I'm saying because she just kind of backs up and looks at me with this crack, and I look at her and I'm like, <laughs> "I'm not joking." <laughs> and oh gosh, I just balked on the air. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We won't tell. We'll just make sure somebody turns that up when we play it. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, we've got we've got our roosters, we've got our roosters, and they're just a pain to the to the other birds. Now, we found out that at about eight or nine months, turkeys start getting aggressive because we had a turkey that we would walk around with a, a, a two by two in our hand because if he come over and he'll like my dad, he'll snatch a sandwich out of my dad's hand, and he got aggressive and you know you know, and then we'll just you know we we were just beating him in the head to get him to back up. So when when we got time to butcher him, we were not sorry. The only thing we learned was that we let him go a year and a half. So he went way too long, and uh, he was thirty six and a half pounds dressed. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, I had a problem. I fit in my oven. Yeah, I, I couldn't get him in an oven. Yeah, in fact, I had to. It took everything I could to get him in a cooler, a regular cooler. 
and then to get him in the freezer bags, I had to yeah, quarter him. Yeah, I had to quarter him just to get him in freezer bags. So, and and it it was okay. I mean, we we boiled him for a little while, and then we barbecued him, and we made smoked turkey sandwiches. But yeah, we're not going to let him go that long anymore. So. Yeah, that makes me hungry. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, there's not going to be any love loss for uh, three three of these birds that I have out there. There will be no love loss. There will be a hard time for the two new ones that we got because um, one of them I have nicknamed Nervous Nelly because she is just, she's the runt, the, the small one that everybody picks on, yeah. you know, the bottom of the pack. And I, I just feel so sorry for her. And she's the reason I built the tri-level duplex for her. And I put her in every night. She, I go to the coop, and she comes up to me, and she looks at me. Mean lady won't let me in the coop. And I look at her, and I look over at mean lady, and mean lady's looking at me, you know, right above the door. She's saying, she's not coming in. And I look at mean lady, oh, yes, she is. Pick up the little baby and put her on the, you know, she's, she's laying, so she's not little. Put her on her little roost, and she gives me this look like, thank you. You know, so I can't. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to eat her. Well, yeah. She may just be safe. Yeah. Well, see, and something, and to me, the chickens are, you try to keep them safe, but, you know, they do fight and they do have their own little cliques, their own little chicken gangs. But what we found is that if we, you know, if you build you a little box that you can put the chicks in there when they're smaller and the other birds will get used to them, then they will still have their little chicken cliques, but... They get they're used to each other. Now, one of the other things we found out is when you do your your nesting boxes, you have to put a barrier up on either side because if the if one chicken can see another chicken's egg and you haven't gone there to get it, they'll poke a hole in that other egg. That's too funny. Yeah, they have three nesting boxes in there. They're all separate. Um, and they can't see each other, really. I'm getting ready. I'm actually going to do do the nesting boxes different because I had the whole thing designed. I read all these books, and and I kept asking people, can I see your coop, can I see your coop? And, then I, and I can't do the tractor because I'm on a hill. And literally, if I did a tractor, we have 60-plus mile-an-hour winds. That thing would be in my living room through the front window if I... I had the tractor, had a chicken tractor that could be moved. It it picks up full size barbecues and throws them across the the, the road. So um, so we did we I designed it by reading all the books and thinking, okay, I'm so smart and and I've looked at other people's and then I get these chickens and I bring them into the coop and I'm like, there you go, look, nice new home. And they look at me like, I want the dirt floor, I want my roost bar five inches from the from the bottom. And get rid of these things, whatever they are, and just bring me some, some you know, little 55-gallon drums cut off with the holes in them. Yeah. And I'm looking, going, but don't you like this? And they're looking at me going, lady, no. You know, so I got redneck chickens in a Cadillac house. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, are you going to do any other animals? I, I so think- it was not, oh, more animals. Um, I think my husband wants pig. Um and maybe a goat I don't know but I do want I I didn't answer your question about how many chickens I think we're probably going to go up to 10 chickens with maybe the ability of doing 20 but I'll have to um, do a renovation out the back of their coop to do more but I'll paddock I'm, I'm doing kind of like the paddock system I'm watching the way things bloom here because when you move from one area to another area 
and the weather is different, you have to grow totally different things. Um, right. If I had known back then what I know now about gardening, um, my husband and I were both, you know, we missed so many gardening experiences um, back in the Central Valley. I mean, you could garden year-round down there without any barriers. Here, just to get tomatoes, to get on the, on the plants, I have to build cloches and enclose them because it doesn't get hot enough at night. So the, you, you get the um, blossom drop if it's below 58 degrees. So I have to enclose everything so that I can um, capture the heat from the day, which is three hours. You know, we get heat for three hours. And then most of it's in the 60s and then the fifth, low 50s at night. Yeah. So um, had I known, yeah, had I known back then all of the gardening tips and tricks that I've learned now, um, man, we could have been eating fabulously down there. Yeah, yeah. Now see now I've had I've had pigs. Um, somebody gave me a pot belly, so we had that. It tore up the, the area that we had it in and then it kept breaking out. Um, I've caught wild oh, pigs. Gosh. Yeah, I've caught wild pigs and tried to keep them contained. Um, they're a mess. Um, the fertilizer's great, but I, I guess when we had that I I didn't like that I had to constantly feed it. I like animals that are self-sufficient So because the feed bill gets so high and if the stink actually hits the fan, I'm not going to be able to afford feed. So I want my animals to provide for me more than I provide for them. All I want to do is provide security. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I like the chickens because they do that. Yeah, they do. You know, and, I, I, I've got to go let them out. Yeah. But, uh, like, well, what I was saying, the paddock, see, I was thumping again, um, the whole paddock thing. So they have their backyard now. Well, when they clear that area, then I'll give them another, I'll fence off another section. You know, fence posts can be pulled up. It takes a little bit of effort, but I'm not opposed to pulling them up, rolling up the 50-foot of fencing and taking it somewhere else. And then I'll plant, once they clear that area, then I can go in and plant the, because um, there's going to be an orchard back there. And I'll plant that orchard area, and then I'll just paddock another section off. And then pretty soon what they'll have is they'll have five different areas that they can go into. And they'll be nicely padded, paddocked off or fenced off. And they'll have a door on each side of their coop. And I'll just open that morning when I feed them the one that I'm going to let them out in. So I can have my blueberries and my raspberries. Um, they can be in there in the winter. And then in the summer, um, I can I can close that off so that I'll get the berries, but they can go into the next section that doesn't have something ripe yet. That's my goal. Yeah, see, that's that's where I'm at because I've been here about a year and a half, and that's what I'm trying to establish is what grows where at what time. I've got rosemary that I've got under a power pole that does beautifully, but then I've got other rosemaries that I planted in other places that don't do as well. Uh, sage does good here. I mean, when I buy stuff at the store and it says it likes full sun, it's not talking about Texas because if it, if I give basil or yeah. oregano full sun, it burns it in a day. So I have to have a lot of that up yes. closer to the house, up under the canopy. 
Yes. So that's the, that's the difference from where I was, where we were in the Central Valley. It's 115 degrees pretty much four to six months out of the year. And then I move here, and down there, when, when, when we had our vegetable garden, we had shade cloth for everything. You, you, you watched what time of the day, where the sun was the strongest, where it was hitting, and you, you built little PVC structures to hold the shade cloth so when the sun came to that area, the plant underneath was getting the shade. So you allowed it to have sun for so many hours, a few hours a day, but it was getting, and this, these are full sun plants, but it was getting shade the rest of the time. So you could move those structures when you needed. Well, up here, I find that I'm trapping the heat in. I have clear plastic or clouded plastic or what, you know, to let the light in. But I'm, I'm trapping the heat in because we can't get, we, the first year we were here, we couldn't grow a jalapeno to save our life. And now yeah. we probably have three plants and we probably have 40 jalapenos on them right now. And with about 20 of them in the fridge for me to, to can up. So it, it's all in, um, it's totally opposite from the way that you garden down there. But it's, it's all in the structures that you're building and how, how you do it. Yeah, and, and I think that one of the big things that, you know, that, I, I listen to, you know, Bob and Jack and some of these other guys, some of these other podcasts, and really it takes a couple of years to get it established to find out what's working here, what's working there. And I guess the hardest part is not to get discouraged because I started getting discouraged, and then I do like you said. I'd thump her on, and I'd go over into this other project, get into that, and then it, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't, wouldn't be so butthurt about it, and I'd get back to it. I like the butt hurt. I always laugh at that. But you know, it, it's you got to. It's gardening. Everything is an experiment, and especially in your in your area, there's a book that I put up on my Facebook page. Um, I go to the library and I check out a lot of books. I have a way of tweaking it to to show me what is uh, new on gardening that they've purchased this year or last year. And I found this one book that this guy. Um, and I just did a review on Facebook. He has all of his um, he, he's seeds. He takes seeds and he cross-pollinates them with, with um, other seeds. And he is literally creating plants that are, because he lives up in, in a colder climate. I think he's zone 5. And I'm 8B and you're probably 9-something. And he is um, he's creating plants just up. Over the years that he's living in this place, to be cold tolerant, so he's creating plants to literally survive in his his climate, which right. is fascinating. So I was um, I, I checked out his book, and it's it's called Planet Plant Breeding for the Home Gardener: How to Create Unique Vegetables and Flowers, and um, and I, I think that's fabulous that we can take a plant and we can see, keep saving the seed from it. So so I can plant, like, basil, which would be hard for... It's hard for me to grow, although I'm growing it like gangbusters out there right now. And um, I plant it close to my house, and next year, after I let it set seed, I, I save the seeds for the best plants, and I plant them a little bit farther away from my house until, I, you know... And it gets more cold-tolerant as you go. I have a, a thing of corn that is a cold-tolerant corn, so it grows in the cold season because it's hard people to grow corn here 
Um, but it's doing wonderfully out there. It's almost as tall as me. And you can't get um, discouraged gardening. The first year we were here, we planted three tomato plants, and then we spent the year watching the sun, where the sun was in the, in the winter, spring, fall, summer, what areas of the yard got the sun all, every morning, afternoon, evening, um, it was pretty hard to do when I was um, working, but when I, I'm constantly watching the sun. So now I know, two and a half years after being on this land, I know exactly where I want the greenhouse, the permanent, big, huge greenhouse to go. I want an indoor greenhouse that I roll in the trees, um, the citrus trees that I have every uh, winter or every fall, and I roll them out and have, you know, a whole greenhouse area. And now I know where I want that to be. But then I have my uh, seed starting place, and in the winter, it will get 100% sun, but right now it will only get half a day of sun. And um, then I'll have another greenhouse up on the top part of the land. We have a top, a middle, and a lower section. So the top section is where the garden is, and I'll have a, a greenhouse up there too. So it's all playing, and you, you can't get discouraged because you're not... You don't lose. It's just a learning experience. Everything is learning. Yeah, I agree. That makes sense. Yeah, and see, I'm really, you sound really far advanced because I'm just kind of playing with where stuff will and won't grow due to sun or heat. And you're actually, sounds like you're talking about the plants that you're slowly, year by year, moving away from your house. It's almost like you're teaching your plants to be more tolerant of what you need them to do. I am starting that now after I've read that book. It's totally, well, I, I found out um, last week that I, I took plants from, from, from Fresno, where I came from. I took plants out of my garden before I put it on the market, and I brought them up here, and I planted them in the back corner of the property away from all the construction. And I put a fence around it because we have deer, which I, I'm fighting with every day, and um, I no longer chase them with a stick because I found out that that was harassing wildlife, so they get a pass. But I am not nice to them, and I do call them all the names in the books because apparently words can't hurt, but sticks do. Okay, so we get past that. So I planted all these plants that I stole from, from my property before I put it on the market. And I come up here and I plant them in the ground. And then last week, I mean, I'm looking at agapanthus. They're beautiful. They, they have that beautiful, you probably have them down there. They're very drought tolerant. And people usually put them in their houses, um, in their yards, because you just, you plant them in every five years. You just dig them up, divide them, and you get more, more you know, people just give plants away. Well, I brought some, and they're in my, my flower bed here. Of course, I got all my flowers for free, except for two, three rose bushes. Everything else is for free. Um, I can tell you how I did that, too, if you want. But um, I found out last week that they're not supposed to grow here. Really? Apparently, my, uh, at, yeah, apparently the agapanthus are not zoned for here, which is a great, um, a great thing. Uh, uh, you've got to look at it. You know, how much do books really know? Seriously, I read all the books on chicken coops and my chickens didn't like them. So now I have yeah. this, uh, these plants that apparently because of my ignorance, I didn't, I wouldn't have brought them if I didn't think they, you know, if I knew they didn't grow here, but they grow nicely. And in a couple of years, I'll divide them up and, you know, I'll start sharing them with everybody and everybody around here will have agapanthas and we'll just look at those garden books and stick our tongue out and say, neater, neater. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I mean, I do the same thing. I mean, like, I've got oregano that I had to break out of a pot 
and I keep them in pots so that in the when the in the early spring I can put move the pots into the sun so they can get more sun. Then as July hits, I can move them out of the sun and keep them under the canopy. But uh, I just had to break up an oregano and put it into two to three different pots. Um, my rosemaries, they're all over the property, and I do the same thing, though, is that as they get so big, I, I break them loose, I do something with them, and then I give them to these people or those people. I guess, you know, and maybe it's maybe it's the girl thing, but I'm not planting anything I can't eat. Uh, if it's a rose bush, it's coming out because tomatoes are going there. Everything I do, I try to do it to be totally self-sufficient. If I want something pretty, I'll plant a peach tree because it'll put off really pretty flowers right before it puts off peaches. I could change your mind on that. You want me to change your mind? <laughs> what, do you, what have you got? Well, my hus- well, my husband said the same thing. He was, we're not planting anything on this land unless it is, um, unless we can eat it. I want everything to be um, edible. And I am thinking, okay, well, you know, I'm sorry, but I need my flowers. I have to have cut flowers in my house. Even though my cat will eat them, I have to have the cut flowers in my house. So I, um, I went and I bought in a, day of desperation in February of uh, 2011, I bought two six-packs of violas, and I planted them. Well, little did I know, violas are edible. You can eat them. Um, They're kind of a mustardy, spicy taste. They're actually really good. So out of those two six-packs, I literally am giving violas away. They come where I had put them was right outside the kitchen window. It's the place that I'm digging up right now. Um, I just had somebody come and take the last few bits. We dug them out of the gravel. But so I have these these two little six-packs, and little did I know I would end up with hundreds of violas. The wind just picks the seeds up, and literally, I don't pull those, so I let those live wherever they want. But my husband, with his everything has to be edible and has to have purpose, and I'm thinking, okay, well, I do want some flowers, and I don't want to spend any money for them. So I, I contacted the, we have a wonderful network of ladies in our, in our little town that's a couple miles in. So I went over there and I spread the word if you have any, you know, because I know as a flower gardener that, you know, you have to divide the plants up every few years. There's some of them, you know, you, some of them multiply. And I had brought some from, from Fresno, so I planted those, and those were doing beautifully and multiplying. Well, I found some ladies. One of them had a big bush of daylilies that she didn't want in her yard anymore. So I took my trash bag and shovel, and she gave it to me. I dug it up. Another lady was a beautiful gardener, beautiful garden up on a hill overlooking the ocean. And I spent a, a morning with her, and she just let me take take a, a shovel of this and a shovel of that and a shovel of this. And another lady, another... Um, a uh, fabulous lady let me come to her garden. So I, I, you know, I got all these flowers for free, and I planted the whole in front of my garden uh, of the house. I planted with flowers so that when I walked outside or I looked out a window, I saw flowers. Now they're not edible, but they're there. Then my husband starts beekeeping, and he's all excited. He gets his bees, and then he's looking out, and there's absolutely, you know, the days are nice, and, and, and they're getting warm, and, and he looks out, and he's like, there's nothing for them to eat. And I'm looking at him going, really? And he goes, there's nothing for them to eat. Nothing's in bloom. And I'm like, yeah, vegetables don't bloom until later. Even the fruit <laughs> trees aren't blooming until later. Now, all of a sudden, flowers are extremely important. And he is on a rush trip, an hour and a half into Lowe's to find flowers. And he comes back with all these these flowers, um, gallon containers of them. And some of them are, are be- they're, they're all beautiful. 
But we later found out, which I didn't know, um, that a lot of the flowers are being bred, um, the pollen is being bred out of them. Because we're standing there, we put them all in the front kitchen window so we could watch the bees. Which, it's kind of interesting watching bees, although I don't know if if I'm allergic to them yet or not, so... (laughs) But anyways, so we're watching, and there's some flowers that they literally will not touch. I mean, they won't even... they, They go near them, and they don't land on them, and then they leave. And then we find out that those flowers have been bred to have absolutely no pollen. So for me, they're useless. They have no use on my land. But right. they're here, so, you know, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to throw something away. I'll let them grow. But the other ones, I took the plant markers out of them, and I've been letting them go to seed, and I've collecting the seeds to them. And once the greenhouse is up, I will be creating literally borders and edges and everything with these flowers because they start blooming so early that those that's the food for the bees okay but see now here here now you did twist that on me like you changed your mind right yeah well kind of because what you did was you created a resource because now you've created a network of your flower ladies and it's like okay now if you need something you can go get this but yet you give them this so you're doing a barter so i guess you tweaked my mind on that because you're not buying it see if you if i'm not having to pay for it yeah. then something pretty doesn't bother me. You know, now, if, if I have to pay for it, I, you know, it, it's got to be able to feed me. So, yeah, you, you you got me there. That was good. I like how you did that. But it does feed you because the bees take the pollen and the nectar out of them and create honey for you, which turns around and feeds you. It's a whole cycle. Yeah, we'll see. Well, and with me... And if you don't have the... Go ahead. If you don't have, if you don't have the flowers, um, then... You have to feed them sugar from your pantry. Right, right. See, and with my thing is I'm not really interested in bees. What I do is when I want the honey, because I imagine that's why you're getting the, doing the bees is for the honey. Um, there's the garden. Mm-hmm. There's a little a couple down the road from us. They're maybe a mile away, and they do a huge garden during the summer. Uh, I, I want to say he's a school bus driver. So when he's off in the, in the summertime, they have this huge garden. And, and I love it out here because you would never find this in California. You drive up to the house. They've got a, a, a garden stand. And I want to say it's maybe 10 by 10. And there's vegetables in little baskets. And there's price tags on it. You know, a little basket of tomatoes is a dollar. And, the, you know, squash is a dollar fifty for six. Or jalapenos are 10 for a dollar or whatever. And there's a cookie jar you put your money in. There's nobody there. And you go over yep. and you get this stuff. Yep. You know, and I've gone there when she's been there, and I'll be talking about I've done a a savory tomato basil jelly, a regular tomato basil jelly, a jalapeno jelly, and she gets all excited about it. I take her jellies back, and I'll give her jelly, and then she'll give me honey. Or she'll say, well, here, just take, here, don't worry about the cost of those jalapenos you just got. I'm like, okay. So it's a barter system. So I'm not going to be doing the honey because I don't have to. Somebody down the road's doing that. I'm going to come up with a funny yeah, somebody, jelly. You know, somebody listening. Yeah. No, and we do the barter, and I like the little jar where you just pay as you go. We have a couple of those stands um, all up and down the freeway because we all live off of the the one main freeway that goes through. It's a little, not a freeway, it's a highway. We all live off of this little, this highway that goes up and down. And um, tourists are like, oh, waterfall. And then they slow down, and then you almost hit them. But, you know, but, uh, 
But so, so we have that that system, but you would never have that in California. You're totally correct. Yeah, that. And yeah. If you did. Somebody would come by and they would take it all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. We just. It's like. It's it's incredible. I mean. Out here, I mean, I would ask my stepmom, you know, I was like, hey, where's this paperwork? So it's in my car. I go out there, and, you know, this is a year and a half, two years later, they've been here. And I'm like, will you unlock your car? And she's like, well, somebody will steal it. We live off a back road, off a back road, on a dead-end road. Nobody's going to steal your car. I mean, I haven't locked my car in, in, on the property in two years that we've been here. Um, you know, so, yeah, you don't, you can't get that in, in places in California. Um it's nothing to have something sitting in my front yard and it'll sit there all year unless I pick it up. You know, I, I, I'm laughing because I am, I still lock my car and the reason I do it was because I did get out of the habit of doing it and I noticed I left things in my car and I was in the big city, um, which is Portland, and I went out and my car was unlocked and I started freaking because even though I was gone for a few minutes, I didn't want to be, um, it's just, it, it's a habit. And I didn't want to get out of that habit. So I still lock it. And I'm still seen, you know, walking through my front door, looking at the wall to see if the TV is still hanging there. And, you know, sometimes I'll stop in the morning when I go to open a window and I'm like, do I need to turn the alarm off? Oh, no, no, no alarm. And I open the window and I'm so shocked that the alarm doesn't go off. <laughs> it's like, oh, no alarm here. Well, it's funny. We do, uh, uh, Bob. Bob's a big fan of uh, me and my buddy Super Dave because we, we went from being a prepper team to a prepper network because everybody got their own retreats. And so we do monthly training, uh, either at my place or some of the other places. And it's kind of funny because we'll do a training session and typically people will be like, hey, can I come in zero a rifle? Like, yeah, that's fine. No, no, don't worry about it. And I'll go back out in my shop a day or so after training and walk out there and I'll look and there's a case with a rifle in it. And I, I mean, I, I know whose cases are what, and I'll just call them like, hey, you, did you know you left your rifle? Oh, yeah, I, I, I know. I forgot about that. Is it going to be okay? I'm like, yeah. I don't, we don't worry about that kind of stuff out here. I mean, my door rarely gets locked, you know, unless I'm leaving, you know, for the for an entire weekend or something. And you just, I couldn't have done that in L.A. County, and you couldn't have done it up, in, you know, up where you were at. It's just, it's, it's insane to think like that. And now that's the reason I don't want to go back, ever. No, never. I wouldn't want to go back, not only that, but for the weather alone, but the people are so much nicer here. Once they once they realize that you're not the um, the Californian that they believe you, every Californian to be, and they see that you're a hard worker and that you're, um, okay, you know, that you have constitutional beliefs and stuff like that, and once they, once they really gear in on you there in this area, then all of a sudden they'll start talking to you. So uh, I, I tell people I'm way too conservative. I got kicked out of California because I was way too conservative for them. Yeah. I actually went back for a visit. My sister asked me uh, to come back for a visit. I literally got ran off. Yeah. I I went to a store. I went to a grocery store. And as I walked up to the door in, in, in Los Angeles County, it was down in San Fernando Valley. And I walk, walked up. And there was a lady walking up. She was a little bit kind of slower than me. I, I knew I was going to get the door before her. And this is after I've been out here in Texas for uh, 10 years. And as I walked up, I grabbed the door and I held the door open for her. And when she got within about three paces of me, she curled her purse up to her chest and asked what I wanted. And I had to explain to her, ma'am, I just want to hold the door for you. And she wouldn't go in. She wouldn't go in. And I was like, okay, whatever. And I went in and it just, 
anytime you tried to be courteous to somebody, they didn't like it. They thought you were doing it for a purpose, you know, for some evil plot, and they just didn't get it. And that's just because of everybody else, not be- yeah, not because of you. But I've literally been ran off the road on, on the freeways down there because of a bumper sticker. You know, I very rarely ever put a bumper sticker on my car, but, you know, there was something that I was passionate about, and I put the bumper sticker on my car, and all of a sudden I'm being ran off the road and yelled at, and, and I went to go pick up signs and more bumper stickers because, you know, I'm hard-headed. You're not going to tell me what, <laughs> you know, what to do. I don't tell you what to do. Don't tell me. So um, I... I meet a guy in the parking lot, and he's telling me the same thing. He got ran off the road for his bumper sticker because I, I, I joked with him. I said, "You better watch out. Those people, if they see you with that bumper sticker, you're gonna you're gonna get in trouble." And he goes, he goes, "You don't." I mean, he was like seventy. He goes, "You don't know the half of it." He goes, "I almost got ran off the road last week." And I'm like, "Oh, dude, seriously, I did get ran off the road." Yeah. So my dad, you know, where I work, I I got all those phone calls. They, they're burning. They they would steal the signs and they throw them in somebody's yard that would have a sign they didn't like, and they burn them in front of their yard. So now we have uh, the fire department coming out, and you know, not to get into that conversation, but it, you you can't think differently than other people. You all have to be the same. Yeah. Well, see, my dad uh, coming out here. My dad grew up, you know, down in San Fernando Valley, and back when it was bad. And or back when I guess it started being bad, and up here he he tells he calls back and he tells people he's like yeah up here when people wave at you they use all five fingers, not just one. <laughs> it's true. It's true too. I couldn't figure out why people were waving at me. Why are they saying hello to me? Like you know because I've only been here three years and I'm like you, you don't talk to anybody. You don't look at anybody because one they don't speak English. And two, the last time I looked at somebody in a grocery store down there, um, I'm pretty sure he was going to try to um, rob me in the parking lot. Um, He got awfully angry at me when I asked, because, you know, the hairs on the back of your head stand up, you listen. And I I just, I stood there and waited for the manager to come and walk me out to the parking lot because the guys, um, I crossed him in the grocery store and, um, you know, I smile, not thinking, and then all of a sudden he's following me. And then the next thing I know, I'm like, oh, crud. Here I am checking out, and he's standing by the door. And he looks like a hoodlum. He looks like a gang-banging, you know, gold teeth hoodlum and baggy clothes. And I'm just I, I'm just looking at him going, you know, I can tell you right now, he's probably packing something. And I stood um, by the front, you know, of the registers, and I said, I need somebody to walk me out and call the manager. And I spoke to the manager. He, he called a couple days later, and I got him at work, and, and he found out who I was because back there, you know, down there, you don't tell anybody what you do for a living. In fact, when I met my husband, he told me he was a garbage collector. <laughs> and um, when, uh, yeah, it, it, it took me two weeks of, of actually talking to him and knowing him to realize that I was actually his dispatcher telling him where to go. And uh, he was like, oh, you told me you answered phones for the city. And I'm like, I do. <laughs> you know, you just don't tell people what you do, which department you work for. Right. But uh, that guy, when I walked out that door, that guy had the meanest look on his face. Like, he was pissed off that I had the nerve to to ask for somebody to walk me out so that he could not do what he wanted to do with me. You, you forbid him from letting you be a victim. How dare you? You know, so... I know, boy. What am I thinking? Yeah, you should be a you should be a good you should be a good victim and just you know smile at him and just hand him your purse as you walk out. Oh hell no! 
all the time. And I get the phone calls. You know, that's what you do for a living. I get the phone calls. And this man's all all pissed off at me. His wife got um, uh, robbed or whatever or attacked while she was running. And I'm like, okay, well, what time was she running? And it was 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, I, I, I told him, recorded line. I said, dude, you, your wife has no business being out at 10 o'clock at night running. I mean, yeah, up here, probably yes. In a normal part of the United States, probably yes. But in the fifth largest city where it's full of gangs, crimes, and, and, and drugs, no. You, you have to take responsibility for your, yourself. You have to take responsibility for your health, your safety, and you cannot put yourself in these situations. You have to lock your doors. You have to keep things off the seat of your car. And you're not living in fear. You know, don't live in fear. But there is a point of fear that you have to get used to. Because if you don't, you will become a victim. And who wants to be a victim? And because I can guarantee you, the police will not get there before the crime occurs. Right. And, you, yeah, you've got to be aware of your surroundings. But the police... They're there, in the, and on the cars it says to serve and protect, but they're there to document the crime after the fact. I mean, we saw during the L.A. riots that they couldn't respond, you know, and they actually pulled back to defend themselves. So, yeah, the police, you know, they're, they're there to do a job, but they can't be there to watch everybody. Well, and, and I really, I mean, up here... They're not even responding to a lot of things. They close their doors at certain hours. We have one lady that, um, that I spoke about on the other podcast. She kind of made me mad because she knew this guy was an issue, and she knew she didn't have a phone, but she didn't tell her neighbors, apparently, that she was, you know, if somebody came knocking on her door or if she was banging on the wall that they needed to call 911. And even if you had a phone, excuse me, that doesn't have connection, that phone will still call 911. But, you know, 911 wasn't there to respond. They weren't able. They didn't have anybody to help her. So how come she didn't take actions into her own hands? I mean, right. we're responsible for ourselves. I could get on this whole kick, and I don't think you want me to go there. <laughs> yeah, we're probably about ready to start winding up. I know Bob likes to keep these down to about an hour or less. Um, I did want to go over a couple things real quick. Um, I told Bob that we're probably going to end up having to do a part two uh, to this because you've got, you've got stuff all over. You're all over the place like me. And with, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, and I know that once people hear this yeah. podcast, they're going to want to hear more, because I know I wanted to hear more. I was excited about this. Um, tell people about your website. You've got your, uh, you've got your website that's on Bing. You've got Facebook. You've got Pinterest. And what really kind of struck me is when I actually went out after I heard you on Jack's show and started kind of looking at some of the stuff, is that it... At first, I thought I got the wrong website because you're very artistic. You've got, on one of your pages, you've got a typewriter with, like, some kind of a grass growing through the paper. And it was very artistic, and I was really impressed with that. I, um, that, yeah, that, that typewriter has now been brought inside into my studio. But I, uh, um... I like pretty things. I mean, I built my water collection system, and I made sure to paint the trim and everything. This, you know, paint the barrels the same color as the trim of the house so that it all matches. Everything matches. Um, I have a thumperlane.com, which is my website, and I post my finished product projects on there. Usually, I'm getting ready to do the one about the chicken coop. Um, usually, when things, I do the befores and the afters, and I'm getting ready to do a, a, a two-year working on the property. Um, so I'll show pictures of when we first got it, which was bare land, to, to, to now. 
um, and you know, just little recaps. I like to go back through and do the recaps. For me, I don't know if other people like it, but for me, it makes me feel like I'm I'm accomplishing something. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I like to communicate with people. I love the feedback that I get from people, and so I started the Facebook page, which is Thumper Lane Homestead. And there I put up, um, you know, the things that I'm doing. Like I, I didn't even know that if you snipped off the top of a tomato plant or, you know, I broke a stem. And the first one I threw away. And then that, that night I realized, oh, I'm watching a YouTube video that I could actually stick it in dirt or water and it would root and then I could plant it. And that thing is now about a foot tall outside in the garden. Um, and then, you know, just... Pinterest is where I go when I'm, like, standing in line. It's on my phone, and I just pin, pin, pin. I think I have, like, maybe 8,000 now um, (laughs) of things that I like or I want to do or that um, I want to look into. Like, I know I pinned what to do with coffee, and if anybody knows what to do with coffee in the garden, I told my husband... I, it was probably a month ago. Honey, make sure you save any coffee that you don't drink. And he had half a pot two days ago. It's still sitting on the counter because I can't. I'm looking at it going, I know there was a reason for the coffee. What am I supposed <laughs> to do? And you know, the minute I throw the coffee away, you'll I'm remember run it. across the reason why I wanted the coffee. Right, it right. It was to spray it on plants for something, and I can't figure out what it was. But um, I like the input that I get. You probably, well, you you input some. And um, I like the ideas and the, you know, oh, it's not too bad. You're going to get hang of the chickens. Or, oh, yeah, that book is good and this book is good. You know, that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, I'm constantly doing something. It's one project after the other. Yeah. Constant. Yeah. Now uh, we got we had a little stutter in there when you uh, when you said it's Thumper Lane T H U M P E R L A N E dot com, and then from there, yes. I, there your Facebook link is there, your Pinterest link is there. Uh, I've already tagged onto all of those, and I I just think your sites are are crack up. I love your dog. You've got what is he a boxer or something? Maggie, Maggie is a, a boxer. She's 42 pounds, and she has a story all her own. She actually came from Fresno, and long story short, she was starved for a year. She was starved by the breeder that bred her, and um, that breeder walked away with a little tiny misdemeanor slap on the hand. She actually starved 15 boxers. Wow. Uh, um, and she was a rescue and we had just put a dog down and of course you know working in law enforcement you work with the the SPCA and those folks are just fabulous and I walked in and I I made a phone call to their dispatch because I always talked to the lady and I wanted to say hi to her in person and she's like oh you got to see what we're working on and they had just brought all these dogs in and this little girl I might post a before picture but it makes you cry she was 18 pounds when they found her yeah and and she is she, she is my, my sweetheart. Of course, I have to sit there morning and night and watch her eat because she refuses to eat unless one of us watches her. Yeah, well, you got the picture on there where she's on the beach and she's... Just, she is my downfall if the world... Yeah, if the world collapses. Yeah. Yeah, she, the picture where she's on the beach doing what? Uh, she, she's slinging her head around and she was just hilarious. It looked like yeah. she's shaking water off, but it's a great picture. I loved it. Yeah, she is. Um, she loves the beach, but she can't go in the um, 
in the summer because all of the tourists are there. So she's having beach withdrawals. I came home with buckets of sand yesterday. I don't know if you watched my YouTube video, but <laughs> no. I came home with buckets of sand. And she smelled my feet, and she didn't talk to me for about three hours. <laughs> now, what's your YouTube site? Is it linked anywhere on your Facebook or your webpage? Um, I don't think so yet, because we actually just started. Hubby actually puts um, some stuff up, too. But it's Thumper LT is my, um, is my actual video YouTube site. And I've been doing a lot more, you know, I'll just take out the, the, the phone and it's going to make you sick. So if you get sick easily, please don't watch. But otherwise, yeah, I love hearing from people. Um, I'll just whip out the camera and say, okay, this is what I'm doing. You know, I'm on the, I'm on the land alone. My neighbors are not going to hear me talking to myself. So I'm crazy enough. I can do it <laughs> and, and, and give people an yeah, and let people see just how odd I really am. That's okay. <laughs> but, you know, I I told my husband he can he can commit me once the rooms get co-ed. He can come with me and we can have a vacation. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Okay. Well, this has been great. Um, uh, I want to. I want to go ahead and stop it here. I think this gives uh, Bob a lot of room for a second interview, um, and I'm hoping Bob. You know, Bob's finally finishing his move, so that's done. But uh, I really appreciate this. I was really excited about this. I just. I just thought you were hilarious to listen to because well, you're so funny when you get into your stories, and, and I just appreciate you coming on here with me. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's been a blast. And thank you for letting for keeping me away from the uh, digging of the rocks. That's the, That was sweet. <laughs> and the breaking up of the concrete. Yeah, I saw that. Oh, my gosh. It hurt so bad, but no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I appreciate it. And uh, uh, we'll go ahead and stop here, and we'll talk to you again here soon. Okay, you have a great day. Thank you. <laughs> well, once again... There's not much I can add to that, folks. Uh, it was it was priceless. I mean, I would love to start talking about all the different parts of that interview that I liked. And if I did that, I would ramble on for another 35, 40 minutes. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say, I loved it all. Tabitha, thank you very much. Uh, if I'm ever up in Oregon, I, I'm going to try to look you up. And uh, hopefully we can meet and shake each other's hand. Because that was just wonderful. Mexican Joe... Uh, hey, you know what, Mexican Joe, you're such a good interviewer. Gosh, I, I tell you what, I, you, you might be giving me a run for my money here. I may have to start taking some lessons from you. I might have to call you the unofficial co-host of today's survival show or something like that. Good job. Wow. Good job with your interviewing skills. There's more coming up. I hope you guys do a part two. I want to be a part of that one. Uh, let's do like a three-way interview for part two. I think that'd be great. Let's do a three-way Skype interview, and I'll record that. That was terrific. So there's going to be a part two. And for those of you who choose to support my show, I think we're going to put part two on the Survival Champions Club. And we're going to make that a premium podcast. It'll help support the show. See, don't forget, folks, I donate my time, Mexican Joe, Super Dave, everybody who interviews donates their time. For free. And I don't run a bunch of commercials. I don't talk a bunch of, about a bunch of sponsors or anything like that. I don't do that. I don't, have, I don't have people sending me checks every month to advertise on my show. Although I've got enough listeners to, you know, make that happen, but I don't. I keep it commercial free for you. So if you don't mind giving back, go to todayssurvival.com. That's todayssurvival.com. And if you look in the right-hand margin, you'll see today's, you'll see Survival Champions Club. If you want to be a champion at this, 
Listen to some of the interviews that I've got on Survival Champions Club. They're $25 each. You can get them all for 75 bucks. You can see a little bit about each interview when you take a look at it. And uh, if you click the Survival Champions Club page, you'll also see some more information. So part two of this interview. Plus, there's another interview coming up that is going to be launched soon, like within a couple of days after this one, that will also be on the Survival Champions Club. It's, well, I'm not, you know what? Once it's launched, I'll go ahead and I'll put a notice up on the forum. But some of the older ones I've got up there, there's great value for 25 bucks or $75 for all of them. I've got Glenn Tate. I've got White Bear out in Montana. I've got my friend Matt Chusnick on knife and tool sharpening. i got Matt Brasick from Midwest Disaster Medical with some excellent information on first aid. I've got uh, Wade in Louisiana who's real good with herbs. I'm telling you what, folks, there's a lot of good information, and there's more coming. So if you could support the show or go to my Amazon store and click the Amazon store link that's on my show on my webpage, todayssurvival.com. And you don't even have to spend any extra money doing that. If you're going to buy something on Amazon, buy it through my site, please. It will help out my show, and I'll get a little fee, and you can give back that way. Without, uh, I guess, without rambling anymore. Thanks for listening to another episode of today's Survival Show. I'm Bob Main. I'm your host, although I didn't do much for this one here. Uh, many thanks again to Mexican Joe and to Thumper Lane. Folks, do what you can with what you have, wherever you are. Catch you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.